0: Good morning, everyone. Good to be together again. Um, We are in week two of our series in Daniel. Um, So if you'd like to turn to the book of Daniel, we are going to be in Daniel chapter two. Just very quickly, by way of recap, let me just remind us. Last week, we saw that Daniel and his friends uh, have found themselves taken captive Um, into Babylon as exiles. They're living in captivity. They've been taken into King Nebuchadnezzar's house, into his palace, to um, be assimilated culturally and in every way possible into becoming servants of the king of Babylon to help run his kingdom how he wants. And so these are bright guys, young guys, who who love the Lord, the living God, but have suddenly found themselves um, unwillingly In this context and we saw that the two big themes of Daniel that really stand out so starkly in Daniel chapter one are simply this that God is sovereignly reigning and ruling over all of his creation. That is good news for creation. If God is not sovereignly reigning and ruling creation falls apart. It disappears. It doesn't exist, but he is reigning and ruling. We saw that right at the start of Daniel chapter one. And that we saw in particular that God is always in control of who's in control. God raises kings and he disposes them as he wills. And we saw this great phrase that that kind of is woven through Daniel chapter 1. God gave. God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Daniel and his friends compassion and favour when it came to the food that they could eat. God gave them learning and skill in literature and wisdom in understanding visions and dreams. And so these, these young guys, the Israelites, but these four in particular have found themselves in captivity. But God is in control. He's working a plan and purpose even though they're in a place they do not want to be. And then the second big theme is that we saw God's people are therefore called to live faithfully to him in all places, in all times, in all situations. Including Swindon, in the 21st century, right here today, we are called to live faithful, obedient lives to the living God. And we saw that in Daniel, just in the way he approached, um, he resolved not to eat the food that would defile him. He gave himself to understanding the culture and the time of the place that he lived in. He, he, He wanted to understand. And Daniel remained there. In Babylon, He wasn't trying to escape Babylon. He remained there, in fact, for 70 years. He was faithfully living in a place which he had not chosen. Now, just for a moment, imagine that you are an exilic Jew. You've been taken off into captivity in Babylon and you're asking yourselves this question. How are we meant to live here? We're away from the temple, from our home, from our community, from the the promised land that God has given to us. New customs, cultures, new religions, all of this stuff. The question surely ringing around in people's hearts and minds is, okay, how now do we live? What's the right response in this situation? Are we meant to try and be antagonistic towards our new masters? Are we meant to live subversive lives, trying to bring this kingdom down from the inside? Are we meant to just revolt, get an army together and revolt against the king and his people, the King of Babylon and his people. When we talk about God being sovereign, reigning and ruling over all of creation, it does not mean that we as followers of Jesus don't bother engaging in this world that we live in. It doesn't mean we just say, well God's sovereign, laissez faire, sera, sera, whatever will be, we just do our own thing and and step back from this world and retreat. It certainly doesn't mean that to say that God is sovereign. Daniel doesn't do that. We don't see Daniel retreating into the shadows at all. We don't see him complaining in fact. We don't see him riling against King Nebuchadnezzar. How dare you bring me into captivity? In fact we see something quite opposite as we begin to track his story. Why is it that Daniel didn't rile against King Nebuchadnezzar? Why is it that he didn't Gather together a small band of militants to say, come on, let's take this guy down. Let's take his people down or let's, let's um, use propaganda and we'll make it eat itself from the inside out. Why is it that Daniel didn't do that? He was away from his home, no less. On the surface, as we were saying last week, this day that Daniel has found himself in is a disaster. Exile, taken out of the land that God had given to them, away from the temple. Disaster moment. On the surface, it looks like Babylon is a bad place to be and a bad time and a bad thing. But God speaks into the worst of situations. He doesn't just leave his people in the worst of situations. I just want to say this to you right now. No matter what situation you are finding yourself in. No matter how frustrated you are, hurting, angry, confused. God is speaking into your situation. Yeah, amen. Hey, he speaks to us. He's a God who reveals himself to us. He speaks to us through the spirit. The spirit comes and comforts us and brings us wisdom. He's praying for us right now. Jesus is praying and interceding for us. He's a high priest who is praying for you. The spirit is praying and interceding for you before the father right now. He's given us one another. He speaks to us through one another. Hey, even creation, the Bible says, pours forth speech day after day. Don't forget God is on the throne. He's holding all things together, sustaining all things. No matter what you're facing, God is reigning and ruling and he is speaking to you. That should comfort us greatly. Hey, that's what was happening in Daniel's situation also. They were uncomfortable in a hard moment of their story. Dazed, confused by the circumstances, but suddenly they find that God is speaking to them and beginning to answer the question of how are we meant to live here? The, the prophet Jeremiah, he's, he's like a commentator of God on the times that Daniel and his friends are living in, in Babylon. And he writes a letter to those in captivity and he reveals what God is doing in this letter. And suddenly for Daniel and his friends and the other Jews in captivity, God is turning upside down their understanding of what is happening. To not just see this as the darkest of times, to not just see it as a place where we need to get out of here as quick as we can, but to see, in fact, God is at work. And Jeremiah has this um, incredible vision, slightly bizarre vision even, in Chapter 24. And he says this. He writes in his letter. He says this to the exiles in Babylon. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs. Placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs. Like those that ripen early. And the other basket had very bad figs. So bad that they could not be eaten. Then he explains it. This is what the Lord. The God of Israel says. Like these good figs. I regard as good The exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and I will not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. And so this incredible picture that Jeremiah has actually gives us the insight into what God is precisely doing here. Remember, God gave Jehoiakim and the Israelites into captivity. But not because he's careless. He's a very caring God. He's a very good God. He's a very kind God. And we give them here precisely what God is doing. We have two baskets of figs. One, very good figs, and these are the people who find themselves in Babylon. What? Surely the people who aren't in Babylon are the good figs. They're the ones that God must be watching over. No, God says the good figs are his people, his remnant. And the bad figs, in fact, turn out to be the people who are left behind in Jerusalem under God's wrath. It's completely upside down to the way that We think. And God says to the, to the Israelites in captivity in Babylon, he says, I'm going to care for you. I'm watching over you. I'm going to plant you. I'm going to tend to you. And we learn something very simple from this prophetic vision that Jeremiah had about the people who are in Babylon and how they should act. We, we in fact, discover that God's people in Babylon are where they are meant to be. They are where they are meant to be. Often we think, I I just think we think the other way around. We think, no, we've got to get out of there. They should be getting out of there. They should do everything they can. That's not their home. But God says, no, this is where I want my people to be. In fact, he goes on even more than that. In Jeremiah 27, it's a place that God says that he will bless over that 70 year period of the exiles. And his people are key to that place being blessed. God so often cuts, doesn't he, across the way that we think. Our natural inclination is to think, well, if everything was good, then God would be loving me. If everything was good in my life, then God's caring for me. If everything is good in my life, then I would know that God is a God who blesses me and tends to me and watches over me. But in fact, here we see in Babylon, no, 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 no. You can be in the most dire of circumstances and you have a God who watches over you. So often we want to escape the hardships of life but God says no remain remain i watch you i tend over you i will use this for your good and Jeremiah 29 he goes on to say this basically this i have a vision from god and god is at work so you get to work marry build houses settle down because I am going to bless Babylon through you and I'm going to work out my plan of salvation through you and out into the nations of the world through you being in Babylon. Even when we don't understand what God is doing, we are called to live faithful lives of obedience to God. And just as we jump sorry, excuse me, just as we jump into Daniel 2 for a moment, I want us to just have in our hearts again this big picture that God is reigning He is sovereign and He is ruling. So Heavenly Father, just as we come to the scriptures, I just pray that you would give us indeed vision and sight and understanding into these things. That you are a God who does not work like we do, that you take the, the hard moments in life and you work through them, that you are indeed at work in every situation and every circumstance in our lives and across the face of the earth. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be those who live in our Babylon faithfully and obediently, not trying to run away from it, but serving it. Working in your kingdom in this place. And so we bless your name. Just pray that you'd come and give us understanding in these moments as we head into the next bit of Daniel. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. We pray it, Lord, that we might have understanding of what you're doing in our day, in our generation. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we come into chapter 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whiz through the story. Because so I want to get to the, the main point. And what we find is that. Verse, chapter 2 verse 1. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. Isn't it incredible? The king of Babylon was troubled in spirit. And could not sleep. And yet you get. Daniel and his friends, impoverished, away from home, without their own money and food and everything, and they're able to sleep. They're at rest. They're peaceful. They wake up in the morning refreshed. Just an incredible contrast. That actually those who live knowing their God is alive and sovereign and caring for them in every situation, every circumstance, at every time, can rest in his presence. Just amazing. And so we find that King Nebuchadnezzar is having... These mother of all dreams. And he doesn't understand what this dream is about. So he gathers to himself his wise men, his enchanters, his magicians, in effect his think tank, who help him run the country. And he says to them, I had a, I had a dream and I'm troubled in spirit and I want to know what this dream means at any cost. we We could be in danger of thinking that Nebuchadnezzar isn't a religious man. So he doesn't worship the living God, but he was a guy who prayed to his gods. He was an incredibly religious man. He prayed. He took dreams seriously. The Bible takes dreams seriously. The Bible, right through the Bible, it talks a lot about dreams. And even in Job, Job, Job tells us, Job 33, For God does speak now in one way and now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their bed, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warning to turn from their wrongdoing and keep them from pride. So even in Job, God is telling us that one way he speaks to people is through dreams. And oftentimes it's a warning. It's a a warning. It's actually a mercy of God that they would turn from wickedness and turn from Pride. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And he gathers together these guys, these wise guys and magicians. And they have no problem with dream culture. They have no problem with thinking and understanding. Hey, the gods speak to us through dreams. And so he knows in this moment that he's received divine revelation from God. Or the gods. Just think about that for a moment. You're the king. Of the empire on the face of the earth at that time. You know that the gods or the God is speaking to you. And yet you don't know what the message means. It's a warning. That's a terrifying place to be. That's why he's so troubled in spirit. And he was willing to pay huge amounts for this dream to be interpreted. So he gathers together his guys. And he says to them. I want you to interpret this dream for me. More than that, in fact, I want you to tell me what this dream is and then interpret it for me. And he gives them a nice little warning in verse 5. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... You shall be torn limb from limb and your house shall be laid in ruins. But if you do show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and the interpretation. And so rightly so, King Nebuchadnezzar says this to his wise men. Hey, you're the ones who know the gods. You're the ones who work in the, day, in the temple day after day, telling people how the, what the gods are doing and how they should respond. Therefore, you speak for the gods. And so if you're any use to me at all, you will know precisely this dream that God has given to me. If you really do hear from the gods. You can imagine these wise men's hearts are starting to beat a bit faster at this point. It's said, and I don't know if it's true, that King Nebuchadnezzar's throne, either side of it, he had chained lions just for an intimidation tactic. Yeah, I, I imagine they were slightly nervous at this point. They they know how this works. You don't please the king. Any moment, he can chop your head off. He's the king. He does what he wants. They are powerless. These wise men, these astrologers, they are powerless. They they have no answer. How Have you ever tried to think what somebody else is thinking? And you think... I know you're thinking something and I have no idea what it is. And then you start to think the worst that they might be thinking things about you and you. Hey, we're good at trying to guess what other people are thinking. That's the only way that it could work for these guys. They had no idea what this revelation that God had given King Nebuchadnezzar was. They had no chance. They started to panic. And so they come to the king and they say this. Look, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will show its interpretation." Paraphrase? No, actually, you tell us what you've seen and we'll tell you what you want to hear. We've got very good and skilled at telling the king what he wants to hear. We've got very good at reading the facts. We've got very good at reading the things that are here and now and interpreting those things as history. Those things as truth. Those things as things to make decisions on. Listen to what they say. There's not a man, verse 10. There's no man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Nobody, Nobody could possibly know what your dream was. They go on to say this. The thing that the king has asked, verse 11, is difficult. You don't say. And no one can show it to the king except for the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Isn't that incredible? Think about it for a moment. They're saying... This, hey, all we've got to go on is the here and now, the facts, the things that we can tangibly get hold of. And they're saying, well, <laughs> what we need is revelation. But but the gods, they don't speak to humans. They don't dwell with us. We can't possibly know. It sounds to me a bit like 21st century secular atheists. Hey, all we have to go on is the here and now. The facts that surround us. You can't possibly know anything outside of what we have. As empirical evidence that we can test. Get in a lab that we... Hey, I love science. But this is how the mind of the 21st century secularist works. we All we've got to go on is what's in front of us right here, right now. There's no such thing as revelation. Don't be ridiculous. There's no such thing as revelation. It's very similar to what these guys in Daniel's day are doing. Hey, the only ones that can reveal... S- bring revelation to us are the gods, but they don't speak to us, they don't dwell with us. This this message of Daniel is so relevant to our culture today. The mindset is really not that different. Basically they're saying this there's no one on earth who can do what the king wants. What we need is God to bring revelation and interpretation. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us this. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Hey, you want to know what God's thinking? You need the spirit to bring revelation. In fact, it isn't that we have a silent God who does not speak and bring revelation. We have a God who brings revelation to us. We have a God who has revealed himself to us. His plans, his purposes for you, for I, for human history, for eternity. God is a speaking, revealing God. Through his word, through his son, Christ Jesus, through the spirit. We have a God who is speaking to us. That's such good news. God is not mute. He is not far off from you. He is speaking to you and to us. And so these, these... These magicians, these wise men, they are very perplexed. And then comes Daniel into the scene and he's like, well, in actual fact, it's not that God doesn't speak and bring revelation. And it's not that God doesn't dwell amongst his people. He does. He absolutely does speak to his people. And he absolutely does dwell among his people. Daniel basically says this to the king's officials. Let me interpret the dreams for you. His, his neck is on the line anyway. His three friends neck are on the line anyway. It's incredib- incredible, isn't it? How the mind, I'm sure, focuses when, e- when execution's just around the corner. And he says, well, I'm going to die anyway. My God is a speaking God. He does reveal mysteries. He does reveal himself. I'm going to go and pray like crazy. God have mercy. God reveal your dreams. Reveal your plans. And so he gets his guys together and he says... We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. He is a living God. And we see in verse 19 that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of that night. And Daniel, in response to this, he blessed the name of God forever. Verse 20, to whom belong wisdom and might. Hear this, that God changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And he praises God for giving him and his friends revelation. Daniel comes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he agrees in verse 27 with the wise men. It's impossible. No wise man, enchanter, magician or astrologer. Can say to can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But. But. But you've got to remember that. In life with God on the throne, there is always a but. But God. But there is a God. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. No, no nobody can possibly know. The mind of a king. But God reveals histories. Nobody can possibly know a dream and a vision. That God has spoken to someone else. Other than revelation from God. Daniel says this mystery. Verse 30 has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have. More than the living. But in order that the interpretation. May be known to the king. And that you may know the thoughts. Of your mind. This is, just for a moment, let's just stop here and just think about this. This paints for us an incredible idea of who God is and what he is like. Of what's going on, not just from a, an earthly point of view, but from a heavenly point of view. God is revealing the hidden things of the earth through dreams and visions. And it shows us this, that there is one who is living, reigning the most high God over all of creation. He is above all of these earthly things, all of the earthly kingdoms, all of his earthly people. And he knows all of the answers. He knows the mysteries. He knows the revelations. He knows the visions. He he rules over the seasons, the changing times of history. He's the one who raises kings and and disposes of other kings. His wisdom can reveal the dark, hidden, secret things. Hey, he, he knows the things of our heart and he brings them to light. We have a God who knows the times and purposes of history. But he doesn't just keep these things to himself. He makes them known to his people, his servants. It's incredible that as we come to the word of God. Those who've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. Those who had new hearts, their eyes opened by the work of the spirit as we believed in Christ Jesus have been given understanding and wisdom into the things of God. Jesus says, I I now, you're no longer servants. I call you friends. You're not just servants. I call you friends. You've been let in on the father's business. You know, the father's plans and purposes. So Daniel goes to the king and tells him. The meaning of the dream. And this brings us really to this this big next theme in Daniel. We see it first of all in chapter 1. The first three verses. We we start hearing about kings and and kingdoms. And then as we come to the the dream being laid out. this, This thing of kings and kingdoms comes back to us again. But in particular not just the earthly kings and kingdoms. But Yahweh, Israel's God and his kingdom which he will establish so this, this vision has something very important to tell us. And Daniel says this, he, he paints this, this um, vision for the king that he saw. He said, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So Daniel is saying to the king, the vision that you had at night time was of this huge statue made up of all these different metals. And then he says this, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in to pieces, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The king is terrified at this. Vision, and so these these different metals represent four successive kingdoms that are, that were to come and have come. You can find out about this. We haven't got time to go into it today, but this 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 statue really does represent four successive kingdoms, starting with Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greece, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And Daniel is giving incredible, accurate, prophetic vision and and foretelling of what kingdoms will come. After the king, kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel reveals this, and then as he's revealing this, he's saying, "And then, then what happens is there's this statue, and then out of nowhere comes this hurtling stone that smashes into the feet of this statue and causes it to come crashing down. And yet this stone isn't a stone that is another earthly kingdom. It's, it's not from this world. It's not being cut by human hands. It's a kingdom. It's a stone that comes from heaven. And it smashes into this statue. The statue falls to pieces, is destroyed and blown away. And then this stone begins to grow. And this stone grows and grows until it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. We don't have to guess what the interpretation of this dream is Daniel tells us what it means he says this he talks about these four successive kingdoms starting with Babylon and in the days of the fourth kingdom God would come and he would establish his kingdom which is indestructible in the in the period of this fourth kingdom God would come and do you know historically that is absolutely what happened the fourth kingdom was Rome And in the period of the Romans, God sent his son, Christ Jesus. And he established his kingdom that will never fail. It will never cease. It will always be growing. It will go on and on and on into eternity, bringing glory to God forever and ever. And this prophetic vision that, that King Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel here is interpreting is precisely what happened in the events of history. Jesus isn't just a shot in the dark. He didn't just suddenly appear 2,000 years ago, even way back in the times of Daniel. God is saying, I am bringing my Messiah, the true king, the king after David, the king who comes and will establish his kingdom for my glory forever and ever. And that is the vision that is being revealed here, even to the kings of the earth. Isn't that so incredible? God will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom, verse 44, be left to another people. It shall break all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand for forever. Amen. He goes on to say, God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Just for a moment, let's ask. Where's the Babylonian kingdom? Where's the Medes and Persians? Where's the Greek kingdom? Where's the kingdom of Rome? Dashed in history. Tiny pieces of rock and fragments and little statues, headless statues that are right now in the British Museum that you can go and see. Hey, that's the only evidence we've got of these kingdoms. Where are they? Where are their kings and rulers? Hey, they've gone blown away like the chaff. Where's this kingdom of God today? Where is this mountain, this stone that came and smashed these kingdoms to smithereens and has begun to grow and fill the whole earth? Where is it? Well, I tell you what, it is filling the whole earth indeed. As men and women and children believe in Christ Jesus. That he is Lord and Savior. And that he is a God who loves his creation. And he is bringing people to himself. That's where the kingdom is. You want to see the kingdom? Hey, you're the kingdom of God. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the true king. Hey, the kingdom that grows up and fills the whole world. And so we see this incredible image of this statue that goes from a head of gold, lessening value of metals. until And down to its feet of clay, these brittle feet of clay and iron. And this stone comes and crushes it. So we have this story about God establishing his kingdom. We have this pagan but religious king that is in turmoil and is about and God is about to unravel. We have this smashing of all the worlds of the kingdom. And this is incredible because not only is God saying, look, here's the next four kingdoms. He's giving us a template of what all of the kingdoms of the earth are like. In all places, at all times, in every situation. Kingdom, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. He raises kings and rulers and queens and then he disposes of them. Every earthly kingdom will fail we are so fortunate in this nation that we live that we are not in danger from our rulers we must pray for those who lead us we must pray for the rulers and the nations of this world but we are so privileged that we are not right now fearful that people may come racing through these doors and end our life But do you know, even if we were in that circumstance, and I don't say this lightly, I have no idea what it feels like to be in that situation, even if it were. Do you know, ISIS will not stand forever. Syria will not stand forever. Mugabe won't stand forever. They will come and they will go. But the kingdom of God will endure forever. And that is our kingdom. We are now citizens of that kingdom. And we have eternal life with God. We will reign and rule with Him. In fact, we are reigning and ruling with Him in His kingdom right now. Here in Swindon, His kingdom's breaking out. As the citizens of the kingdom understand, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. So we see this incredible story about the sovereignty of God over the nations. And and we can quickly, if we're not careful, jump to the judgment of God. Hey, God is sovereign. He's smashing these kingdoms. You better watch out, you. There's a day of judgment coming, don't you know, when God will judge the wicked, those who are alive, those who have died. And it's true, there is a day of judgment. And God does dispose of kingdoms of men. But isn't it incredible that when Jesus came, announcing the gospel of this kingdom, that's good news. The good news that God is indeed establishing his kingdom. He didn't just come with this. Gospel of judgment, but he came with a gospel of salvation. He came with a gospel of good news. And this, this kingdom that God is establishing isn't like the kingdoms of the world. It's a kingdom of good news. It's a kingdom of salvation. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus alludes to this dream and this stone in Daniel 2. And he does it for two reasons. One of which is to indicate the time of his death and his own religious leader's rejection of him. And then he appeals to Daniel 2 to indicate the arrival of his kingdom through his own death and resurrection. He's saying my kingdom will be inaugurated through my death and resurrection. When I am lifted on high and glorified, when men will spit on me and mock on me and place a crown of thorns upon me and a robe and take and lead me to the cross. When I am lifted up, then I will be glorified, crowned king, not just of the Jews, but of all people. And isn't that picture of Jesus, God incarnate, come to dwell among us here on earth, a king from another place, not an earthly kingdom. He said to Pilate, didn't he, when he was face to face, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, surely you know that all my followers would come and rescue me and get rid of you. But my kingdom isn't of this world. Jesus is agreeing with Daniel. Hey, my kingdom comes from another place It's a stone not formed by human hands that comes crushing in. And this this is the good news that Christ Jesus laid down his life. That he was crucified for you and for I, that we could go from the darkness, the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. As we place our faith and trust in him. That our king didn't stay dead in a grave, but he rose to resurrection life. Ascended to the right hand of the father where he is reigning and ruling with absolute sovereign power. Our king reigns. Amen. He is victorious Amen. and sovereign. And so we must be careful not to think of these opening chapters of Daniel as a call to us to hammer the kingdoms of this world. As a call to hammer the people of this world in judgment. We, if we are not careful. Man, I know my heart. I am so good at judging my neighbor. I am so good at just being judgmental in my spirit. But you know, the kingdom doesn't just come and bring judgment. It brings good news. It brings salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Let me just read a moment from Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, this is what my kingdom looks like. Here's my kingdom manifesto. As its king, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a king. What a king. Listen to in Matthew 5 where he begins to talk about what life in his kingdom looks like. He says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not those with all the power and might. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, it's king. This kingdom of God that he has established, that he was showing even King Nebuchadnezzar. All the kingdoms of the world come and go, but I will establish my sovereign rule and reign through the kingdom of my Son, Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like. It looks like a kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of refuge and safety, a kingdom where the poor and the broken and the vulnerable can come and be seated with princes. It's a different kind of kingdom. And so we are going to, after this series in Daniel, as a team, we we just really felt like God draw draw our attention to this this last week that we are going to spend, we are going to camp on the kingdom of God for a very long time. We are going to live there. We are going to look at the contours of this kingdom. What's the shape of it? What does it look like? Its features. How is it growing and filling the earth? What does it mean to be a citizen of this kingdom? Where is this kingdom heading? What's our future hope for this kingdom? What should we expect this kingdom to look like here and now in our present lives? What should we be shooting for? Should we really be shooting for the oppressed to be set free, the blind to receive sight, the lame to walk, the poor to be lifted up? Are those things really things we can expect now or is that just a future hope? Amazingly, as Daniel brought this interpretation and its meaning to King Nebuchadnezzar, Even though King Nebuchadnezzar recognized in a sense that his kingdom, that God was telling him his kingdom would not not last forever, he knew that God was bringing revelation to him. He knew that God was speaking. And he said this to Daniel right towards the end of chapter 2. Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. A revealer of mysteries. (coughs) For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And Father we thank you that you are indeed the God of gods and the Lord of all kings, a revealer of mysteries. And we thank you that you have revealed to us your plans and purposes to establish your kingdom. Therefore your rule and reign both here and now through Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection That your kingdom, Christ Jesus, was established in that moment. And we thank you that you are the king who is seated above all kingdoms, all earthly kingdoms. We thank you that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the earth. That yours is one of righteousness and justice and peace. We thank you that your kingdom will never come to an end, but will endure forever and ever. We thank you that you are reigning and ruling right now, even in the lives of your servants here. We say we love you, our precious king. We are so thankful that you are the true king. We are so thankful that you are not like the kings of this world who boast in themselves, but that your boast is a boast that is the true boast. That you are our God and we are your people forever and ever. And we will know you and be with you face to face in eternity. And we look forward to that day and we say, come Lord Jesus. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in Heaven And I just pray that as we go from this place, we would be encouraged and built up in our faith, knowing that you are the true king. Knowing that whatever we're facing in life, whatever our concerns are, whatever we see around us happening, the injustices of the world, knowing that you are a king who is at work. You are faithful. You are building your kingdom. And so we We recognize your kingship in our lives and we pray, therefore, help us to be faithful citizens of your kingdom. Who live faithful lives of obedience that declare our Jesus is king. Come breathe upon us, help us in these things and help us to understand these things, Holy Spirit, that they build us up and strengthen us. Knowing that now this earth is now no longer our home. We're aliens and strangers here. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us authority to be citizens of kingdom here on earth. And therefore, we can bring your kingdom to bear by doing exactly as you did, Jesus, which is to bring good news to those who are dying and hurting. Those without hope, those who are in fear, those who are blind and 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 oppressed in life. That we have not just just the gospel of the kingdom that brings judgment. But we have a much better gospel that brings salvation. And so we say we love you and we are here for you. We say your kingdom Jesus will endure forever. Not because we say so but because you are God the king over all the kingdoms of the earth. And we love you. And we're so thankful that you have invited us into your kingdom to feast at your table forever. And ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.